right, good morning. Everybody grab a seat. You in the back, make your way forward. I would like to teach this morning. Please grab a seat. A lot of hugs, a lot of love. Good morning, Ron. Hey, welcome to H2O and happy Easter. As alluded to earlier, uh, my name's John. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I get to tell you about the resurrection here this morning. And then, and then after that, I get to baptize my buddy, John Kurtz, right here. And then, after that, I have another friend. We've been friends for 30 years, and my friend Joe gets to baptize his daughter right here. All I can say is I baptized my daughter here a few years ago. Many of you may remember me baptizing Kara, and I could hardly speak. So, Joe, good luck with that. <laughs> hey, I'm really excited about uh, you all being here today. I'm really excited about this message you know, one thing we like to do is uh, the leadership team of H2O is just be vulnerable and uh, about our lives, share our lives. And so I, I began a story that I need to finish here is that this past week I drove my daughter, Kara, the one that I had baptized here on Easter, I drove my daughter, Kara, up to Washington, D.C. to begin her new life as a flight attendant. And we had a great trip together. And uh, you know how emotion... Emotions sometimes just like sneak up on you. So we're there at dinner. It's the last supper. And uh, we're sitting there and I say, well, let's just pray over our food. And I lose it. And I'm saying, I'm boo-hooing. I can't recover type cry. And so Kara prays over the food. And then she looks at me, kind of hesitates for a second. And then she looks at me and says, Dad, how are you going to survive doing Caitlin's wedding? Because my daughter Caitlin is going to be married in, in August. And I don't know, does anyone have any advice? How am I going to do this? I am positive that I'm going to set a record for the quickest cry of all time. Like, I'm going to start walking her down the aisle. Caitlin's going to be fine, and I'm going to be like boohooing. And then the father-daughter dance, all I can say is we are not doing butterfly kisses. That's just, that's just all I can say. Hey, this morning, especially if you knew, I hope this message about the resurrection connects the dots for you. And I say that because I was not brought up in a Christian home, and so this stuff about Jesus didn't make a lot of sense to me, and the stuff about the resurrection didn't make a lot of sense to me as well. And I hope this does connect with you. The first thing I want you to know about the resurrection is this. The resurrection is unique. It is, it is unique, totally unique. Now, there are some people that believe that once you die, it's all over. For example, Aeschylus, Greek writer, said this. Once a man has died and the dust has soaked up his blood, there is no resurrection. That is it. Other people believe that once you die, you come back as a different organism, reincarnation. Other people believe that the body stays in the grave, but the soul continues on. Plato, 
for example. The soul being immortal existed before the body and will continue to exist after the body. But the Christian perspective on resurrection is totally unique and different from all of that. Because if what Jesus said was true, then we are raised at the voice of Jesus, body and soul, to see God face to face. Job put it this way. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. That's what resurrection is all about. Today we pick up the Jesus story close to the end. Jesus has taught his followers his power over their sin through forgiveness. He has taught them about God's presence. But there is one more lesson that must be imparted, and that is Jesus' power over death. And so we begin our story in John chapter 11, verse 11. He said to them, Our friend Lazarus had fall, has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, let's just look at this. Jesus is obviously speaking in metaphor. This is a phrase that is meant to indicate that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. The disciples have heard Jesus preach a thousand sermons but they're just a little slow on the take here. Next verse. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Now I know, I know it's not in the Bible, but I'm telling you, Jesus rolled his eyes here. <laughs> Jesus folded his arms looked at his disciples and said, Huller? That's what we say in my family. We say, Huller? <laughs> Guys, Jesus was about to hand over the world mission. And the disciples are like, uh, we, what, what, what is going on here? Next verse. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, this is significant. It's not a little detail. Jewish theology taught that the spirit hovered above the body for three days. So like on day three, you might say, well, he's mostly dead, but not all dead. I've seen worse. <laughs> Thank you for those of you that have seen The Princess Bride. So Jesus waited till day four because he wanted everyone to know Lazarus is dead and gone. Next verse. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Now, Bethany was close to Jerusalem. Jesus had given many sermons when he referred to God as his father, as his father. And the Jews understood that means you're equal to God. You're saying you are God in the flesh. And there, he had developed many enemies because they opposed that view. And so Jesus here, when he comes to Bethany, he's coming into his enemy's backyard. He's walking right into their backyard full of courage. 
Next verse. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. They were sisters to Lazarus. Now, in our world, in our time now, we wait several days or a week before the funeral happens. Not in Judaism. The day the person died, they were the funeral happened. They were put in the tomb. And then there was a period of grieving for up to 30 days. So this is day four here. But their house was filled with people who were grieving with the sisters, Martha and Mary. Next verse. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So some of you know the different personalities of these two women, Martha and Mary. It's alluded to in a different gospel, in the gospel of, in the gospel of Luke. Jesus had come to their home. What would you do if Jesus came to your home? You'd be cleaning the house. You'd be getting the food ready, and, and that's what Martha was doing. Mary, on the other hand, sat at Jesus' feet just wanting to learn from him. And what is interesting is that is a position that was only reserved for men. But Jesus crossed all kinds of cultural boundaries, inviting women to actually be his disciples, calling women to equality despite the patriarchal society in which they lived. Next verse. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You know, I was reflecting on this verse, and I thought, this is me. I have thought this all of my life. You know, God, if you just do, do it my way, my life would be easier. It would go the way it's supposed to go. It is our human tendency to think this way if only you didn't allow a world of pain and suffering and hardship and confusion. But Jesus had bigger plans that she was not aware of. Next verse. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I'm going to do something cool here. I'm going to raise your brother. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Do you guys see what's going on in her response? How is she responding? Jesus says, I'm going to raise Lazarus. And she responds with what? Theology. It's like, I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. Uh, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary and crucified. Oh, that, that didn't happen yet. She gives him theology. Gosh, we're like this, aren't we? It's easier to connect the dots between what Jesus has done and some great day in the future than it is to today to know that God is moving in on us right now as we speak in this moment. Next verse, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Seven times Jesus says, I am in this gospel of John. And here in this moment, it's as if Jesus is saying, listen, this is the way I roll. I love to move into impossible situations. I love to show up when a marriage is hopeless and broken when someone is depressed and finally looking to me to deliver them, when we are going through hardships and in impossible situations, that's when I love to show up. That's the way I roll because I am the resurrection and the life. Next verse. Do you believe this? It's like there's a long pause and he looks at her. 
And he says, who do you think I am? Do you believe this? I love when Jesus asks questions of humans. Like when he asked the two blind men, what do you want me to do for you? I'm blind. I, <laughs> I want to see. Why would he ask that question? Because Jesus knows how to tinker with our hearts. Jesus is trying to evoke desire and trust in this moment. Next verse. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. Again, that's correct theology, and yet she totally misses what Jesus is about to do. Next verse. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, Mary, I remind you, is the other sister, and she's got a giant soft spot for Jesus. And she comes to Jesus here, and she falls at his feet, and she's desperate. Next verse. Now, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. And greatly troubled. This word weeping here, this is not like a little tear going down your face. This is like the ugly cry. You guys know what I mean by the ugly cry, right? You're just falling apart. You can't move. It was me with Kara at our last supper. That was what was going on. It's a, a deep cry of the soul. Next verse. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. This is the shortest verse in the Bible. It's the easiest verse to memorize if you ever want to memorize scripture. We could memorize it right now. You ready? Just repeat after me. Jesus wept. You just memorized your first verse. And in this one verse, one of the biggest questions that Skeptics and seekers have about Christianity is addressed. Where is God in this world of suffering? And God takes on human skin and confronts suffering. And how does he respond? He, he weeps. He falls apart in the midst of it. He spontaneously, the word weep here is a different phrase than Mary's. This is just a spontaneous bursting into tears. And this has troubled me because I wondered why did Jesus react this way? Like Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew why he had come here. And yet in the face of human suffering and hardship, he just loses it. He just falls apart. This verse only began to make sense to me through Grandma Mac, my grandmother. And so Grandma Mac was born in 1895, died in 2002 at the spry age of 107. And Grandma Mac was uh, an amazing, amazing person. But she, uh, her 
husband had died, and so my mom invited her to come and live with her where she lived for 25 years. My mom was one time telling me about how long she had taken care of Grandma Mac, and she went on and on, and a chill went down my spine. <laughs> like, wait a minute, wait. Why are you telling me? Why are you telling me this? <laughs> Grandma Mac, in her aged state, had become totally blind and deaf. And so my third daughter, Emily, one day brought her a, a shell, and she just wanted to show her the shell, even though she was legally blind. And Grandma Mac, who had dentures, took the shell, thinking it was a piece of chocolate, popped it into her mouth, and the sound that came out of that, those dentures crunching the shell completely. Anyone else had that experience? Please. Don't. Just me. And so you would think with her old age that her death would not be quite as emotional. We, of course, at the funeral, we were sorry that she was gone. I felt sorrow for my mom. But as I stood up to speak, and I was thinking about this whole hatred of, of death and sin that Jesus had here in this section, and it's like everything connected for me, and I began to just weep uncontrollably, uncontrollably at Grandma Mac's funeral. Because the first time it kind of made sense that the whole biblical story that sin has brought about human death and this is not what God wanted. And in our culture we say things like, well, death is a part of life. And it's as if Jesus says, no, that is not what I wanted. And I will myself reverse it. Next verse. So the Jews said, see how he loved them. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And these people were not necessarily Christ followers at this point. They were not posting on Facebook, what's the meaning of life? They were not having late night conversations about who is Jesus and what is he all about? They just went to a funeral. They're just showing love to a friend. And yet here in this moment, this really cool thing happens between Jesus and these seekers, which is a little odd to me. The next verse reveals, then Jesus deeply moved again. Why was he deeply moved in this moment? Because of the confusion of the seekers at the funeral. Who is this Jesus? And it so deeply moved him. And that word there in the Greek language means to snort like a horse. Kind of strange, isn't it? Kind of odd. It's like a horse before it bolts and moves, take, moves into action, it snorts. And Jesus is like, when he hears this questioning, it's like, no. And he moves forward. We have a little video that we want to share with you that captures this moment. Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the New Testament. 
but speaks to the long tradition of human suffering. Jesus experiences the pain, the tragedy, and the grief of a loving and caring Savior. Where have you laid him? Come and see, my Lord. I think that as Jesus approaches Lazarus's tomb, Mary and Martha are simply expecting him to join the mourners. Take away the stone. What does Martha say? Lord, Let's not open the tomb. There will be a bad smell. She's not expecting resurrection on the spot, even when they go to the tomb. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? What was going through the mind of Mary and Martha when they saw their brother raised from the dead? They were probably stupefied beyond words. Let him go. This is one reason Jesus has to say to the crowd, untie him and let him go. They probably were so shocked they couldn't even move. Did anyone else jump when Lazarus's hand came down? First time I saw this, whoa! Imagine the ripple of emotion that went through the crowd. Martha and Mary, of course, at first stunned and then embracing their brother. I think of many of those that were watching just didn't know what to do. But because of the way John, the gospel writer, reacts later in this story, I imagine John just maybe getting down on his knees because it's beginning to connect with him what is going on here, that this is a foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do in his own body. But there is another reaction of the crowd. There's another reaction that was quite extraordinary is that some were actually angry at what they had just witnessed. And we pick this back up in John in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. So from that day on, they planned together to kill him. It's one thing 
to hear Jesus preach, to see Jesus love on people, to see Jesus invite those of us that are sinners into a relationship with him. And as long as he is doing those things, he feels safe. But when Jesus flexes his authority and reveals his divinity, his power over death, that either causes us to respond in worship or, as the Pharisees did, to want to do away with him because he is scary and dangerous and cannot be manipulated. We need to fast forward through this point which led to the crucifixion of Christ. We need to fast forward through Palm Sunday. Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem and the crowd is worshiping as we will here in just a few minutes singing hallelujah. We have to fast forward through Jesus preaching in that week, the Passion Week, and saying things that only God could say, come to me and have life. We fast forward through the Last Supper where Jesus said to his disciples, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. We fast forward through his arrest. We fast forward through his trial, standing before Pontius Pilate, who asks him, are you a king? And Jesus says, I am a king. And I was born to testify of the truth, to which Pilate responds, what is truth? We fast forward through his scourging, and we fast forward through most of the crucifixion. We taught on this last week where Jesus' last words were, it is accomplished. The work of atoning for our sin is done. And I want us to, in our mind, just imagine the cross for a moment and now pan out to the crowd that is watching. In that crowd are the Roman soldiers, one of whom becomes a believer at that point. In that crowd are the Pharisees that hated him and wanted him put to death. In that crowd is his mother who is watching her son die. And a group of women. And remarkably, in that crowd, what is lacking is his disciples, Peter and James and Andrew and Philip. The Gospels seem to record only one, John, who again, because of the resurrection of Lazarus, was beginning to connect the dots and beginning to understand what was going on in the epic story in front of him. And we move now to John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Next verse. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. John is being very coy here. Instead of saying, hey, dudes, it was me. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. At this point, they found an empty tomb. Jesus has not appeared to Mary Magdalene yet. She was the first. Next verse. So Peter went out with the other disciple, that is John, and they were both going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter 
and reach the tomb first. And it's like, why is this in here? Are you bragging on yourself here? It's like, man, I'm such a fast runner. You know, this Jesus stuff, he died, rose again, but look at me run. You know, why is this in here? And I think John is wanting to give us a clue about himself. There's something that is going on in his heart. It's as if they begin out the door, and then they begin to jog, and then everything is falling into place for John, and they sprint. Next verse. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. That is John. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself, which is kind of odd, like Jesus raises from the dead, and what's he do first? Need to fold this here and make it. I'm really not sure what to do with that. There's probably some deep theological meaning that I've not arrived at yet. Next verse. Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, the good runner, also went in and he saw and he believed. For as yet they had not understood the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And I just want to finish by imagining John running down to the tomb where all the dots begin to fall into place. If Jesus raised Lazarus and he said he was going to rise from the dead himself, then my sin, my sin, my sin has been atoned for. My sin has been removed from me as far as the east is from the west. If Jesus has risen again from the dead, then he is who he said he was. He is the Lord, God in human flesh. Then the message that he has told us is true. Then there is hope for all the world. We can be reborn through him. Salvation is a gift because the king is no longer in the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus is alive, and we celebrate him this morning. But I'm done preaching. I want a couple of people, a couple of friends, come on out, and they're going to briefly share their story before we baptize them. Come on out here, John. Hey, guys. He hasn't said anything yet. Hey guys, uh, appreciate the time. Some of you may remember me from a couple months back when I came up here and said, I love coming to church. I love you guys. You're awesome. But I'm not a Christian. I don't believe it. Um, for me, uh, it's been a, a really intellectual journey at first. I thought God and Christianity was illogical. I thought it was weird. It didn't make sense. I thought it was against science. It turns out that uh, science and Christianity are actually in perfect harmony. God does make sense. There is a reason for God to be there. It's actually more logical than not for God to exist. And once I started to accept these things with my mind, that's when my heart was able to start really opening up. And guys, that's the good stuff. That's the good stuff right there. So I'm not going to tell you all the reasons why I believe in God. I'm just going to say I believe. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. 
as sure as I'm standing right here right now, I believe God is here and Jesus Christ is his only son that he brought here and sacrificed for us. And I believe that was always God's plan. And I believe, I believe that's it. That's what I got. I want to holler at my boy, Caleb. He's really taught me a lot. And, um, I know he's really enjoyed watching me grow in my faith, and, and I've also really enjoyed watching him grow as a just powerful messenger of the Holy Spirit, and I really look forward to working with him some more. I want to thank everybody here, my friends, my family came out to support me, Pastor John, Caleb for helping me out, my man Roger back there who kept inviting me to church for years and kept saving me a seat, and I finally showed up and filled that seat. And uh, my beautiful wife, Sarah, my boys, I love you guys. Thank you. Sorry, guys. I uh, don't know if I can speak so eloquently off the top of my head. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Hillary Dunn, and uh, today I have the honor of being baptized. Um, I grew up in a family that regularly attended church, but it wasn't until my senior year of high school uh, that I realized my personal faith in Jesus needed to be just that, uh, personal, and not dependent on my parents' faith. Um, since that point, over nine years ago, I wanted to be baptized, but there was always something wrong with the timing. Whatever the reasons were, I can look back and see that it was not God's timing, you see. When the timing was right, my faith was faltering, and I felt like I needed to get my life together before I could make um, a symbolic and public commitment. This faulty thinking prevented me from acting. I got into the mindset that I needed to be better, or at least look like I was better, before making such a bold statement. Otherwise, people would judge me. Um, it seems silly to stand here today and say that I was afraid of being judged. This thought process was controlled by fear and not love. Uh, now I can proudly say, I will never have it together. Um, I can't keep my room clean, much less my life in order, as my family can attest. Um, today I want to make a statement, not about me, but about what Jesus did. Um, believing in Jesus does not mean I am perfect or that I have it all worked out. It means I'm accepted how I am right now, no matter my faults, fears, and sins. Jesus died to pay the price for my transgressions. He died for a sinner, not a saint. My baptism symbolizes my rebirth through Jesus, my sins forgiven through his sacrifice, and my eternal hope gifted to me through his victory. 